James. It's great to be back. It's always a pleasure. Mm. Uh, how's your week been? It's much better now that I've, I've seen the big news. <laughs> that our boy's back. Our boy's back. I'm on the edge of my seat. Adam Newman has returned. He's returned with $350 million in hand. Well, or more, right? Like, more, yeah. Well, I mean, he just secured the $350 million bag. Correct. Who is Adam Newman other than a swagged out pimp? <laughs> he is the founder of WeWork. So anyone who was reading the news just before COVID was probably the big, actually it was probably like the biggest news story before COVID hit. It was like nonstop for a, for a few weeks there. That was a fun time. That oh, was so it. fun. What is WeWork? Probably should start with in case people aren't across it. So WeWork was the, well, is actually the, um, the granddaddy of co-working, big multinational co-working spaces, basically. So that it was at the forefront of the, the revolution that instead of working in an office, you can uh, book time in a co-working space uh, and hang out with other cool people who have also done the same and network and then get beer on tap and have fridges full of snacks. It was utopia, basically. Yeah. So if you're a freelancer, you could just book a desk there. If you're a startup or a small business, you could book kind of four desks with the idea that you kind of expand as required by your business. And also you get meeting rooms, you have a receptionist, shared receptionist, et cetera, et cetera, that you can kind of book and share amongst other people. And if anybody watched the Apple TV drama, comedy drama, we crashed. You might have a sense of where that went, what basically happened in the end, because uh, Adam Newman, swagged out pimp that he is, was also like a crazy, a crazy manager, made a lot of unbelievably big swings, burned through an insane amount of capital, and then we work. Tried to IPO in tried to go public in 2019. And we should probably just clarify because we're going to be talking about IPOs a lot in this pod um, and, and already have. But IPO being a company is private. You get money from venture investors through, you know, individual contract. An IPO, you're going on the public stock market, means that anyone can invest in it. That's but right. that comes with a lot of due diligence. Correct. And the due diligence in this form was when, when they were going public, they put together their IPO document, which basically yeah. uh, lays out the company's business model, all the numbers, and uh, everyone looked at it and said, what is going on yes. inside this company? And it, it basically all imploded at that point. Yeah. So its last valuation before IPO was $47 billion Correct. by SoftBank, a known very aggressive, some would say reckless investor. Mm-hmm. It's now. It actually did end up going public via a SPAC, um, which is a whole other thing. Its current valuation is $4 billion. Correct, yep. So they were looking to IPO it, obviously, somewhere north of $47 billion at the time, obviously, because SoftBank wants to make a profit on that investment pre-going public. But yeah, I mean, the stuff that came out of that, that S1 prospectus before they went public was amazing. Yeah, and the thing that made this, that people thought this was kind of like a telling story about the tech industry was that, WeWork is not really a tech company. No. WeWork is a real estate company. Mm. You could run WeWork on with a phone and like some notepads, right? Like yeah. you don't if you you're just booking space, you're managing Well, you're space. doing a very a very classic tried and true business of buying a bunch of space and then sub-renting out smaller parcels of that space. Correct, absolutely. So it's incredibly simple, but because obviously the 2010s was all about enormous tech stock valuations, Adam Newman got it in his head, and the other people at WeWork, I'm not going to blame it all on him, that they could actually see much bigger valuations, much more explosive growth if they sort of behaved like a tech company. Well, yeah, some of the quotes were, he called it the world's first physical social network. Yeah, in-person in social network or whatever he says, which is obviously absurd. Um, like I said, you wouldn't. it has a nice app, 
has a great app, but you know that, that doesn't necessarily make you a tech company. A lot of companies have really nice apps without being tech companies. And uh, so some of the cool things you did were, so to start with, he personally bought or bought shares in a bunch of the buildings that he then had WeWork rent off. That's right, yeah. Pimp move number one. <laughs> and apparently in the S1, it was showing that they were still on the hook for about $280 million worth of those. The classic one, though, was the trademark. That's right, yeah. So he basically acquired the trademark for the word we and then leased it back to the company. That's yeah, pimp, million. pimp move number two. <laughs> he then also, you know, the company was buying absurd things like they bought a Gulfstream jet for his personal use for like $67 million. Yeah. He got the board somehow to sign off on basically changing his shares so that he was the god emperor of WeWork. They went crazy. Like his wife ran the We Education. We Grow, I think. They had very like um, enormous ambitions that their sort of subleasing company was going to literally change the world. And if you look at WeWork now, uh, they put out their uh, quarterly results because obviously he's not involved anymore, I should, I should stipulate. He's not involved <laughs> in the company. It's being run. It's now a much less sexy company. At the last earnings, which was earlier this month, they um, announced that they, they're they still making, losing money tremendously, mm-hmm. but their revenue was up. They've managed to um, lower their costs as well. So they, they may be on a path to profitability, but they're really not pretending they're anything else than you know uh, a real estate company, basically. Mm. Yeah, which just has kind of classic boring multiples, a boring business with boring multiples. He also, another classic of this tale, though, is so after the S1 came out, they didn't actually go public because everyone was like, this is absurd. He then was, well, I say forced out, but because he had these absurd voting rights, he got a massive payday. Classically. So he'd set, so we're talking about a guy who's basically set $44 billion on fire, walked away with, you know, 250 or 200 mil cash, 250 million of extra shares. He, he still owns 10% of WeWork shares. So billions of dollars of basically in payout for setting. All that money on fire. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You know, people throw around billions and this and that nowadays and like there are a lot of billionaires but like the thing that always stuck out to me is that is kind of intergenerational wealth like <laughs> oh yeah, yeah exactly if you're worth two billion dollars that means there's going to be great 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 grandchildren newmans that are super wealthy phenomenally wealthy yeah yeah because one of their ancestors a hundred years ago <laughs> <laughs> just sold this tale yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, sorry, as the S1 said, he's a unique leader who has proven he can simultaneously wear the hats of visionary, operator, and innovator while thriving as a community and cultural creator. He was also barefoot is legal. Banger. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the big story today is he's back. He's back with a vengeance. He has a new... Well, he actually has two companies. One is the, is the main one we'll talk today, and we'll, we'll mention the other one towards the end. But it is called Flow, and he basically he has raised... $350 million from Anderson Horowitz, a company that we've mentioned a few times on the pod and we'll probably continue to mention. They're kind of like the rock stars of the VC world. They're sort of like, if your company gets early stage investment from Anderson Horowitz, all of a sudden that catapults you into prominence, basically. And what Flow is, is he's taken the WeWork model mm-hmm. and he's applying it to residential real estate. Yeah. There's not a whole lot of details. No. But the things we do know, because people come here for facts, obviously, he himself owns 3,000 units yep. that he's purchased across America. And one of the parts of the business model is that Flow will be will be running the operations of these uh, units. And it's kind of implied that we're talking about people can't 
own their homes and this is kind of going to be a rent to own model slash people will feel like they own it even if they are renting in this communal apartment block. So yeah, again, it kind of just sounds like we work. So maybe a bar and yeah. some plants and a nice kind of mezzanine or something. Well, the, the thing that they're kind of pitching, again, the details are so vague at the moment, but in the announcement from Anderson Horowitz announcing they were doing it, um, he made this big deal about um, that when you're renting, it's very hard to get sort of a consistent consumer experience, right? You can rent from one landlord, you can go onto, you know, domain.com.au, rent a place, rent another place, completely different experience depending on the real estate agent, depending on who the landlord is. It could be like just some nobody that owns an investment property. It could be one of those conglomerates that owns a bunch of property. You don't know what you're getting. And their idea is that, hey, we can, uh, you know, disrupt the rental market by, you know, you can look at and go, oh, that's a flow property. Mm. I'm going to rent that and I know exactly what I'm going to get. Mm. You know, I have all these lovely communal experiences. Mm. And it, there are like this sort of model has kind of been done. Like it's it, co-living is the the other one. They, there was a whole bunch in Sydney before COVID. I think mm. they basically all died. I went to toured one and it was kind of like a, a weird sort of alien experience. It's like these gigantic apartments with like weird little off side rooms and huge central areas which kind of looked a little bit like a way work. Um, so, like, the model has kind of been done, but we we don't really know any detail of how he's actually going to do it. And why he's got $350 million in backing from someone who invests in, once again, in tech companies. Exactly, yeah. So, he, he could be he could be pulling the same scam again, which, <laughs> which would be baller. It would be baller <laughs> if he gets away with it. It would be baller. And he's obviously shown no contrition whatsoever. His first big kind of interview interview series was with the FT in March. My favourite part of it, is kind of throughout this interview, um, the interviewer Andrew Edgton Johnson, Edgecliff, Edgecliff Johnson, kind of keeps asking like, "What are like, what have you learnt? What have you learnt from all of this?" And at one point, he kind of pauses and thinks back, and then recounts an anecdote to show what he's learnt. And it was that he was on the phone with another founder that he just invested in, and they're having a heated conversation. And all of a sudden, he says he he sees clearly for a moment, and he thinks back to his past and he's like said to the founder listen when i was in your seat when i was a founder i made a few mistakes not too many but i did make some mistakes and one of them was not listening enough and in this case you need to listen to me <laughs> so <laughs> oh, yeah that was him showing growth that's that's incredible and, and it's look it, i just i think it's lovely the world can give people second chances <laughs> yeah i think that's so nice the other, I mean, we, we may as well mention the other company that he made also has the word flow in it. It's not related. I just he obviously likes that word. Well, yeah, he says in the FT interview as well that after the WeWork debacle, he learned to surf. And one concept that surfers have is that of the flow state, as if that doesn't apply to like every other. I mean, it's not surfers who came up with flow state. But yeah, he really became obsessed with this idea of, of the flow state after surfing waves. Yeah. And the other company is called Flow Carbon. Uh, and it's a blockchain company. You know, throwing his hat in the ring there as well. And basically the idea is that you can put carbon credits, which are, exist for the, the reason of reducing carbon emissions to fight climate change or whatever, you can put them on the blockchain, financialize them, trade them, and make the flow of carbon credits much smoother, which, you know, as anyone who knows anything about the carbon credit system will know, it has fundamental problems. It's it's a busted system, and the reason it's busted is not because they're really hard to trade no. or have access to. They're like they, nobody knows if the credits themselves are actually worth anything or do anything. 
But he's gonna make doesn't mean he ignores that. He's just gonna make them easier to trade. It, the document was kind of leaked. The the pitch document we can maybe put it in the description. But page two I've got here uh, because obviously if you're like Flow Carbon needs to have a token on the blockchain. Yep. The name of their token is Goddess Nature Token. Mm-hmm. Goddess Nature Token is the first multifunctional crypto primitive bringing institutional grade carbon assets on the chain. Does that not sound good? That sounds fucking good. <laughs> So, James, so why are Andreessen Horowitz giving him this money? Like, after all of this, what do they see in him? It's kind of hard to say. I mean, they basically, in the announcement, they sort of gloss over it. They allude to the fact, like, hey, you might have seen this guy before. <laughs> um, but th- they kind of just talk about, you know, he's actually a proven leader. He's actually, this idea is is great. And they really lean on to, like, the broader idea. Like, someone needs to disrupt housing. Hmm. They don't, I don't think they really articulate why it needs to be him, <laughs> why someone else can't disrupt housing. But look, you know, he obviously has a huge amount of forward momentum. He already has a huge amount of personal capital. He bought all those houses. Hmm. They're kind of ready to go. So I'd imagine that all plays into it. I think also from their perspective, from Andreessen Horowitz as an investor, what they're looking for is an exit, right? They're not necessarily looking for a business that's going to be here in 20 years time. It's in their interest for them to have a founder who has a history of raising heaps of money. He is a storyteller. So Andreessen Horowitz are looking for a business that basically will be able to go public as quickly as possible for as much as possible. And for that to happen, all you really need is someone to (laughs) attract shitloads of capital and get it public without actually having to build like a long sustainable business. So I guess in some ways the gamble is just like Adam's going to be able to flip this company in, in five or six years and make us 10x minimum, if not 100x, because this is the future of housing. That's very cynical of you. <laughs> I don't think that's, I think that that's like, if yeah. you spoke to a VC, that's their business model. Yeah. They want an exit. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I know that some, I think Andreessen Horowitz was one of them that created this innovation where they basically turned into a hedge fund so they'd keep some of their assets after they went public. Because for the most part, VCs will sell their share. So you buy, VCs will buy a company when it's private or, you know, percentage of a company um, when it's private once it goes public, it's those shares a lot of the time that are going public. The public can then buy off, effectively off the VC, obviously in a market-based structure and investment banks are uh, involved in kind of providing liquidity there, et cetera, et cetera. But point being, that's what they're looking for. Not so much. So it doesn't really matter if it's a scam. <laughs> True. I mean, a lot of these big VC companies obviously have uh, very forward-looking ideas of what the world will look like in the future, which is how you get things like massive investment in metaverse and massive investment in crypto and i think massive investment in things like flow and flow carbon and we work for that matter from vcs um despite the fact they have no actual kind of business model in the short to medium term i would argue and it's questionable whether long term but you know they're obsessed with this idea which is a kind of great resetty thing you know the whole idea that you won't own anything and you'll be happy like even these instant delivery startups um like milk run and whatnot when you have a look at the American ones, in a lot of their pitch decks, it's kind of that classic thing, like the Uberization of everything where they're like, okay, you have a hammer in your house. You use your hammer 0.00001% of the year. Why do you need to own a hammer when you could just pull up, open an app, say hammer please, and in five minutes you'll have this kind of communal hammer or you'll have a hammer delivered and it'll be taken away and you don't need to own a hammer. And in the case of Milk hammer Run- time. You could call the app Hammer Time. Okay, we should make the Hammer Time app. <laughs> But in the case of Milk Run, I mean, they talk about a pantry-free future or a fridge-free future is is what one of the American companies said, i.e., why have a pantry and a fridge full of food when you should just be able to order all the ingredients to cook yourself a meal and they'll arrive 
five minutes later. And the same thing with like rental, like, you know, what if we could create the sense of belonging that comes with owning a house, but in this rental property, when of course, what all of these things mean is you're renting off uh, someone who does actually own them and is therefore able to extract rent off them and make profits. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the the other thing that fits in here as well is that because we know nothing about what these are going to be like, WeWorks are not cheap. Like they are luxury co-working spaces. Mm. They're, they're beautiful offices. They nailed that part. They're amazing places to sort of exist in. Mm. I can't imagine these are going to be low-income homes. No. These are going to be quite expensive luxury things. There's a question as to whether apps like Milkrun or whatever can actually exist as anything except kind of like a luxury service. Mm. So like what is the, what does everyone else get is sort of like a question that you might ask. Totally. But look, if I could say one nice thing about Adam Newman, apart from the fact he was six foot five. Yeah, and baller and a pimp. <laughs> six foot five, baller pimp, apart from that, is the fact that like I think his general idea about where we're, he read the tea leaves. I think he knew mm. where, where things were going. And especially now that we're sort of out of the pandemic and people are still in work from home mode and they're trying to find out new ways to accommodate flexible work and all that kind of stuff. If I had to predict, I would think that the current like unsexy strip back where work will probably do quite well and maybe probably will get the profitability within a few quarters. Yeah, I, no, I actually think it is a good business model. Yeah. And as you say, especially after the pandemic, as an organization who headcount may be constantly fluctuating because people are working from home or you have like a more global workforce and so you need to scale up and scale down the size of your offices, like, it does actually make perfect sense. It's just that it's a low margin rental real estate play. Yeah, it's not actually that exciting. No. So, I, and you could say the very same thing about flow if it works. I mean, again, is he going to be able to like pitch it as something more than that, essentially? Again, we know that it's tried and true. If someone has a lot of capital, you can upfront buy a building and then rent out those buildings as units. And over time, you make a profit and you have obviously like pre regular income. Yeah, that's a good business model. But again, that's you're just like a property rentals company. Yeah, but great app. But if it has a great app, true, and it's run by a baller pimp. I mean, to me, it sounds like, because he was obviously famous for like going around the office and pouring tequila in people's mouths. Yeah, and making like, him smoke weed. Yeah, smoking weed and that kind of thing. Like, it sounds kind of like what Flow might be, which sounds awesome, is kind of like a backpacker hostel that you can rent. Yeah, for like rich backpackers, I would imagine. There's just like Zoomers always around your house, just walking around saying, bet, bet, for real, bro. 